you're rolling your eyes at your partner, you're going to divorce them. Hey, it's the Scrobots, and you're listening to Batteries Not Included. Strong and resilient family culture doesn't just magically happen. But it requires hard work, intentional leadership, and constant culture building. Episode 2, September 22nd, 2022. We back, y'all. We're back. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Today, we are continuing our conversation from last week, but in a different direction. As last week, we were talking a lot about how it requires us to set expectations and boundaries for our kids if we want our kids to step into freedom. But the issue is, if we don't have a foundation in our lives, in our marriage, then all that work of trying to fix our kids is going to be for naught. So what brought us to that place, Rachel? Have we always had the perfect, shining, glorious marriage? We, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we, have we ever had a disagreement no. or a fight? Oh, no, 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 we're perfect. We almost named it the perfect parenting podcast. <laughs> lies, 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 lies. <laughs> no, I always say um, it took five years for me to really love our marriage. And so the answer to your question is no, we have worked super hard to be in the place that we are in our marriage today. As Lucas said last episode, we are about to celebrate 11 years of marriage, November 1st. Cannot believe it. But the first five years were really hard. First five years for our marriage was really hard. We had to learn a lot. And a lot of that was, you know, year three. Um, We were just thrown into counseling because we were in a pretty rough spot in our marriage and realized we had a lot of unresolved issues, probably that we, not probably, things we brought in from our own childhood, our own upbringing, our own wounds that then were projected upon each other within the marriage. And um, when we started working on our marriage and those things started to get exposed and we were like, okay, there's some cracks in our mm. foundation. Yes. You know, a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, it, the honeymoon phase is amazing. The first year and a half mm. is amazing. I disagree. It was, it was the hardest time for me because I was, you know, coming into our marriage. My parents had just divorced right before we got married. Um, basically everything that I knew about family imploded or exploded both maybe. Um, and I had a lot of hurt and a lot of wounds coming in. And I think again, with the whole theme of batteries not included, I thought so much of this would just come naturally. Well, I love this man and he loves me and we've chosen each other. So, you know what? All those things will fall into place. It's going to work. And, you know, month after month realizing that is not true, but I have no idea how to fix it. And I have no idea how to turn towards him Mm. and fight against these issues that are continually arising as opposed to fighting against him because that's what feels right. Like things don't feel right on the inside. So we all want to blame something or someone. And so my punching bag, my person to blame was you. And wow, that was really bad for our marriage. And, and then of course, as our kids are starting to go from sweet little infant ages to, you know, having their own thoughts and opinions and their individuality and, you know, all of that is so normal, but just trying to bring order to our family, that's going to, you know, prove to be very almost impossible because what's broken 
And what's not in unity is, is the marriage, you and I. Mm. And it was like, you know, that I remember bringing this up with our counselor and, and her being like, well, that's kind of like secondary. We can talk about the parenting stuff and kind of getting that underway. But first and foremost, we got to fix you and Lucas. You two have to see each other as being on, the, on a team. And um, she was right. <laughs> and so that kind of began our journey of like, okay, how is it you and me linking arms against problems, not me against you? Yeah, I remember it was, I think it was actually, it wasn't three years and it was four or five years. And I think we, be, I mean, we hit walls all the way through, but once we started into counseling, I think it was five years. Yeah, and it was then, right before, it was right. Oh, that's true. You're right. It was yeah. almost before our fifth year anniversary. But uh, one thing that you said, it's, you had a hard time, probably both of us did, how, how do we turn towards each other and link arms with one another rather than fight against each mm-hmm. other? And that there was a, you know, as we went about trying to set boundaries, as we tried to set healthy expectations for our kids, we, we probably didn't even have language that's, that that's what we're supposed to do with a two-year-old. But I, I remember when in those years, there was a lot of division between us of how do we set boundaries. I remember, I remember one time, I mean, our oldest was probably, probably two. We were in, we were in Bramie and we were trying to figure out like, he is just constantly melting down and we're trying to figure out, do we, do we give spankings? Do we discipline? We're reading online, like what, trying to figure out what to do, how to do this. We're new parents. We have no idea. And I remember reading a, an article that was saying that timeouts are just as psychologically damaging as discipline or, or whatever. And we just felt so stuck. And then later on, as we kind of went down a, a road of, no, we're going we're gonna to discipline, we're going to set healthy boundaries. I remember there was a lot of tension even between us where our kids became triangulated between us. So triangulated, it means instead of us being connected and having and being on the same page, it was the, the kid gets pulled in to in some ways begin to mediate between our relationship. So if there's problems, if there's division and cracks between us and our marriage, the kids will either insert themselves in to try to bring a level of unity to the parents, mm-hmm. or we begin to weaponize our kids and we pull them in and that kid becomes a wedge between our marriage because there's distrust in the marriage. And so I remember there are times where like, man, like this behavior is like totally unacceptable. We, we need to discipline. And you were like, no way, we're not doing that. And, and so then you're just at an impasse. Right. And if your kid, if your kid is smart, they're going to divide and conquer. They're going to say, well, I can turn this to my favor and mm-hmm. I can get away with what I want. Yeah, they're incredibly smart. Just as we will continue to say, they can feel what's going on. They can feel that mom and dad are on the same page. They can feel when there are cracks in the foundation of your house, um, which your house is just your marriage, you know, or your family unit. Um, and so they play on that. And it's not because they're doing it maliciously. It's because they don't know. It's them trying to cope. It's them trying to figure out what's, what's okay, what's not okay. Okay, going back to the boundary thing, like 
Mm. What is okay? What isn't okay? Sometimes, you know, I can go to dad for this and sometimes I can go to mom for this. And it's like, that is what we fought to avoid and to, you know, push out because that is by definition, a house divided, you know, it's little, those little things that we allow in of like, oh, well, mom always says yes. And dad says no, or I can go to mom for this or mom did say no. So I'm going to go to dad. It's like those little things, we have to catch them. And usually that happens because there is a disconnect and unhealth between mom and dad. And that was what was going on between you and I, um, because, you know, really just very, um, I guess just to say it clearly, like we didn't know how to have healthy conflict. We didn't know how to deal with any sort of stressors in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know how to enter into that and have that connection with you of like, oh, this conflict that we're having can lead to connection and intimacy. But this conflict is I have to rise up and get really big and, or just really get, get really small and shut down because Mm -hmm. I don't know how to engage in this conflict with you. I didn't see that done super healthily. And so I didn't know how to do it. And you, again, you think it's just going to happen because I love this person and oh my goodness, it's like, but no, it's not, it's not true. Um, And we learned that pretty quick right out the gate. You know, it wasn't this for a year and a half. It was you know, right away. And we did have so much love for one another, but we were like, we have a lot we need to work mm. on. We need to fight for this. Um, and so, yeah, going into about, you know, right before our five-year anniversary is when we really re- went after it through counseling and started learning really unhealthy cycles that we had in our communications and um, how unhealthy it was. And if we didn't intervene and, yeah. and really yeah. break these cycles, then it was it was proven to lead to divorce. What was, and we're going to get to those, those cycles, because there's four different cycles that, mm-hmm. that people can be in, but you've kind of touched on it a couple times, this imbalance within our relationship. What was it specifically that you really felt back then? And sometimes it's still kind of like pops up in mm-hmm. our conflict, this feeling that you have. Can you share would <laughs> you be okay if you shared totally, yeah, what it share. is that you feel or we're feeling or that, yeah. that cycle that we have? I, yeah, my, I think my biggest thing was like, I had this power imbalance of thinking you anything. Well, I don't know. I just had this power imbalance where I felt like a child and I looked at you. It's not, it's, it sounds weird, but I looked at you as like a, a parental figure. Yeah. And so then like, yeah. there was this, I'm inferior, you're superior and I'm lagging behind, always trying to catch up to you. But then it was really unhealthy the way that I just, you know, when you would try to talk about things, I would take it as like a personal attack and think, well, like, stop treating me like a child. I can, you know, do, you know, X, Y, and Z. You don't have mm-hmm. to. But it, And then you were stuck because you're like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to chat, not chat, but talk about these really unhealthy things or, you know, this problem that's coming up. And I couldn't see past like this child father parental relationship. Um, that was a, that was a huge thing because then I, it was like, I wanted to lean on that cause I wanted to like you to take care of everything because I felt powerless in my life to really like execute ideas that I had or things I wanted to do. And so it was like, I wanted that. So I guess that goes back to I mean, probably codependent. Yeah. We're to- we were totally in a codependent 100%. relationship. And so then I wanted that. I was like, oh, he'll take care of it. But then it was like, oh, I can't do anything 
if you know it's it's always Lucas. So then it would like come back around and be to your disadvantage because then I'd be like, well, you do everything for me, and I can't do anything for myself. Yeah, we were in this yeah this cycle where yeah. then and like when you're when we were in the cycle, I didn't I didn't think that we were in a codependent relationship, but we were, mm. and you know I remember there were days where if I was busy. You were like, well, what, what am I supposed to do today? And yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know, do whatever you want, babe. It, but, and then as you said, I am, I'm a you know, husband. I'm trying to, trying to love my wife. Like, okay, how, how do you, how do you love your wife? Okay. Well, you, you love her through serving her. So I'm going to, I'm going to serve her well. And the take more things off my plate is how I feel like you would phrase it a lot. I was, would always be trying to take things off your plate. And the more that we got into our unhealthy rhythm and cycle of this codependent relationship, the more volatile things were. I was like, man, I, I just need to step up as a husband. I need to love her more and I need to take more off her plate. And that resulted in you feeling more and more powerless and me having more and more power. Are you feeling like child and viewing me as the adult because you weren't empowered to do things because I was always trying to serve and love thinking that this was going to solve the problem. I think that was one massive thing yeah, specifically for us at least. And so then it's a cycle and you just run this cycle on loop until yeah. you break that cycle. And they're like, Oh, you know, here's another way I can actually get out of the cycle and I'm powerful to see the change in this. And I remember, I remember like, as you were talking, I just remember sitting with our counselor and yeah. you're talking about this. And she said, Lucas, you need to do less for your wife. <laughs> I was like, um, excuse me. I don't, I don't Because know. it's opposite to what we're told. You know, it's like serve your wife. You know, I feel like you say this a lot. And so maybe you can talk on it, but it's like, you know, serve your wife and I don't not do things for her, but yeah, yeah serve her. It's, and it's a class. It's, it's classical in at least in the Christian world, when, you know, here, husbands love your wives. What does that mean? Well, you need to, you need to serve her. You need to wash the dishes. You need to take care of the kids. You need to. I mean, that's all great. It's all great. It's all good. <laughs> and I still, you know, yeah, we you still, still do it. that. But when we are in a, this codependent relationship and I would be doing that, I'd be taking more and more off her plate thinking that I'm helping, but really I was hurting you. I was hurting our relationship because I wasn't treating you as a, as a interdependent, as an individual who was, was strong and able to stand. And I didn't believe that about myself. That was something that through counseling, you know, oftentimes when you go through counseling in marriage, it is a lot of individual personal work that ends mm. up coming up because we get to talk about our upbringing. We get to talk about you know, family dynamics and, you know, different relationships that you are in that really do uh, form mm. you into the person that you are. And so I didn't know how to be an individual. I didn't know how to think for myself. I didn't know how to step out in the things that I wanted to mm. do. And so, yeah, then that goes back to, you know, you would go and do your thing and I'd be like, what am I going to do? I, did, I, I literally thought like, oh, you get in marriage and you, I don't know. I just think all these things just fell into place. I thought, you know, you're going to figure it out. And, or, you know, I was like, well, you just have kids right away. And so then that's what I need to do. And that will fix this, you know, imbalance or this like powerless feeling. And no, it just, it just perpetuates because we don't go to the root of what's going on. 
then it's just going to keep producing fruit and that fruit is unhealthy. Mm. And so I, I had to learn how to be powerful in my own life and be like, I can do these things, which sounds so like, you know, elementary, but that was true. I had to go back to allow some wounds and healing in my own heart to be like, okay, I'm an individual. So I, I actually, I can do things by myself. We already we mentioned wow. the word triangulation, yeah. but when you said, you know, I guess like, what, what do you do when you get married? Oh, you have kids. It's like that having kids, it's trying, it's really trying to triangulate that kid into your own it's into the marriage, but it's really into yourself because you're trying to fill that void of searching for purpose and individuality and identity with the kid. And then if you don't address these things early, these cycles grow and grow and grow and grow until you're empty nesters and you realize that, man, I've just given 25 years to raising kids in search of trying to find myself and I have an empty home and I realize I don't know who I am. Or how to interact with my spouse. I remember, again, I remember sitting with our counselor and her saying, what we're talking about here, you guys are not even five years in. She's like, I will sit with people who are in their 50s. They're empty nesters. They've been married and in these cycles for 20 to 30 years. Gosh. And their kids are gone and they're looking at each other from across the dining room table and they're, who are you? How do I? how do I talk to you? Because they've just gotten comfortable in those cycles or they learned to live with it. And she's like, it's a lot harder to break those cycles 20 to 25 years in. I mean, you can do it if you're determined, but you know, what you're doing now is going to save you a lot of heartache, you know, down the line. And I can attest to it. You know, the last six years have been my favorite years of our marriage and have been the most beautiful. Yeah. Uh, just the most like peaceful years because we really did the hard work of working on what we thought was going to be like, okay, working on marriage, but really we had, it was like a lot of individual work and personal work that then allowed us to be in the marriage and be our, our best, I don't know, quote unquote, best selves and who we were originally designed to be in our marriage because we did the hard, hard work ourselves. And we, I don't know why we don't think that that is, I didn't think that that was what would be the solve, you know? Yeah. We, we buck up against, you know, therapy or counseling is just so bad, but really it's, it was, it's, it, it's so needed. We need these. Well, I think if help. with, with counseling, there, there are good counselors and there's bad counselors. There's some counseling that is counterproductive in some ways. If you like one of the things that we really learned in our counseling was not just what are you feeling? Which that was, you know, a big thing for you of uh, identifying your feelings. But if you, if you stop at what am I feeling and my feelings, my feelings, my feelings, is this making me happy? What do I feel? You, you'll lead, you'll lead down a bad road. But if you bring it back to, okay, is there evidence of why I feel this way? Is what I, is what I feel true or am, am I seeing things in a skewed way? Am I, am I only seeing half of the picture? And so we had, a, we had a really incredible therapist, but I think uh, having some therapy is better than no therapy. And, and statistics show that I believe it's, you're 40% less likely to get divorced 
if you go to premarital counseling with a trained therapist before marriage. So if you, before marriage, if you actually go to a real therapist, you're going to be 40% less likely to get a divorce. So we highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. But I think today, Rachel, you sent me this clip by Dr. Jordan Peterson, and it's going to kind of segue us into the next segment. It's uh, it's one of our favorite favorite topics to talk about, and so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll this clip. Here's a good predictor of whether or not you're going to get divorced. You go into the therapist's office and you talk. The two of you talk, and you roll your eyes. That'll predict. If you roll if you're rolling your eyes at your partner. You're going to divorce them. Why? It's a disgust response, right? It's something like, I'm lifting you up with my eyes and throwing you into the garbage. Mm. It's something like that. But eye rolling is a great predictor of the probability of divorce. So, so it's something to keep in mind with regards to your relationships. Like if you're starting to develop some contempt or some disgust, you bloody well better get on that right away because that's a bad road to go down. And so, well, so, well, so then you have to do whatever you have to do not to go down. I love that part. There's just no other answer. And so, well, you got to do whatever you have to do to not go down that road. And it is so true. You fight to the death to mm. get that out of your marriage because I promise you. Oh. Contempt. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so, I just, I, I man, I think about the five, first five years, there was a ton of that. Mm. Well, for me. <laughs> mm, oh, I, I probably had it too. I probably had it. I just probably hit it behind your back Maybe, more. yeah. I just am very uh, obvious about how I feel about things on my face. So I know I did that. I had no idea, but it was, yeah. Lifting your spouse up with your eyes and throwing them back down. It's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we have to, we have to make it that big of a deal and be, be as far away from it as possible. Or else we'll allow those things in and then we wonder why we are so disconnected mm. from our spouse. But we've allowed all these little, you know, what we would call little foxes to come and spoil the vineyard yeah. of your marriage. And we don't catch them, you know, which we're so urged to do is catch those little foxes that try to come in and spoil the vineyard. Well, that is, you know, little moments of eye rolling or talking negatively about your spouse behind their back and your annoyances and getting defensive. Mm. So we should probably just mm. go into this next part. Yeah, so you, you said the uh, the talking behind the back, and we've since we've mentioned it multiple times, triangulating your girlfriend or another person of the opposite sex into your relationship where you're now talking about the hardness of your marriage with, you know, in an un, uncovering and, way. Yeah, because there is, there is health too. Okay, I'm sitting with a girlfriend. I'm really struggling. And will you pray with me? Like that I would be strengthened in my marriage and encouraged that you're, you're, whoever you're sitting across from is coming from a place of I'm fighting for your marriage and I'm fighting for yes. you. Yes. So yes, like there is, it's not, oh, don't ever talk about it. It's like, who are you sharing with? You're not going, like, are you going to someone because you want them to validate you in, oh yeah, he you're is awful and complain with you and grumble? Or are you going to them because you really are desperate for help and you want them to speak the truth to you and speak the word of God over you and pray with you and keep you accountable and um, call you higher. And those are the questions you need to ask yourself because I th I've heard both. We're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Not tell people when I'm struggling? No, 
But it's different. There's if, a difference. The, if you're going to someone and you're just complaining and you're ripping your spouse a new one with your friend and your friend's like, oh, yeah, your spouse is a total idiot. You know, let me help you rip him a new one. Or, or then she joins one. in and talks about her spouse or, yeah. you know, why, but, why her marriage is awful. Oh, it's not going to produce anything, any good fruit. It's just going to cause you to complain and grumble. And it's going to only further inflame the problems of your marriage rather than having someone call call us higher and that's what's needed especially when it comes to these four behaviors and we learned this many moons ago these four behaviors that will absolutely absolutely destroy your marriage and we already started touched on the first one which is contempt I'm going to read the actual definition. This is from Gottman, John Gottman. We learned a lot from his teaching in his institute. And here is his definition. Contempt is when communication is in this state. We truly mean it. To treat others with disrespect, to mock them with sarcasm, ridicule them, call them names, mimic or use body language such as rolling or scoffing. The target eye rolling, of, eye rolling, or scoffing. Thank you, babe. The target of contempt is to make is made to feel despised and worthless. So if I'm acting contemptuous, I am using sarcasm. I'm treating you with disrespect. I'm ridiculing you. I'm using making jokes at your expense. I'm calling you names. I'm mocking your body language. And oh gosh. Oh my gosh, it makes me feel so gross. You know, copy like when you know when you're you're in that argument with with your spouse, and we've done it, and uh, they say something and just like kind of like repeat it back to them in like this mocking tone. That is contempt. The eye rolling. That is contempt, and and this is the greatest predictor of divorce and this right this is a this is we do talk about marriage on the show and we will talk about marriage on this show because it's about marriage is the foundation of family if you mm-hmm. don't have a healthy marriage how are you going to have a healthy family um however this is not a marriage counseling show we're not marriage therapists however if you don't address this your marriage will be broken. And if you break your marriage, you're going to break your family. If your marriage is broken, it is going to hurt and affect your kids. You're going to have a, a weak, you're going to have an unhealthy culture in your family. You, you'll still have a strong culture. It just won't be the culture that you want to have. So contempt is the, the absolute first and most dangerous behavior. The second behavior, babe, do you want to cover this one? What criticism criticism is you don't have to necessarily read it well i'm just going to read it just easier criticizing your partner is different than offering a critique or voicing a complaint the latter two are about specific issues whereas the former is an ad hominem <laughs> ad hominem yeah attack. ad hominem attack which is what ad hominem it, uh, the former um it's just like attacking them and calling them Attacking their, their character. Yes. And instead of like a critic, Hey, when you do this, make me feel like this, like, is there a way we can fix that? That's 
critique, like, hey, you were talking a little rough with the kids. Like, what's going on? That's different than you're an absolute idiot. You do this all the time. Why do you do this? This is, I always am dealing with this with you. So tired of it. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Totally. It's instead of addressing something that's specific, it's addressing something that is broad. And so if I don't like something you agree with, instead of talking about that, I'm just labeling you in a general way. Yeah. It's an attack on your partner at the core of their character. And you're just dismantling their whole being when you criticize. Whoa. So. Criticism. Yeah. Can you give us an example? Criticism. I mean, I think criticism would be, I mean, maybe, maybe there's other example, better examples, but saying you always do this. Mm -hmm. Like I come home and I went out, like you said, I could go out with the girls. I come home and you always leave the kitchen a mess. You never have the kids ready for bed when I'm ready. <laughs> I, I always have the kids ready for bed and the kitchen's that would always be clean. What, that would be me coming <laughs> to you and being like, you always do this. Like, it's like attacking you of like, why, like, what is wrong with you that you can't think that this is so important to me? Like, I want to come home. I don't want to feel stressed. Like, do you, don't you love me to know enough that like this matters to me? And so then it's like using really strong words mm and attacking your character. Like this is a character Mm. flaw in you as opposed to coming home, being able to be again, why so important to do individual work. So you can Mm. be regulated and say, okay, now's not the time to address this. Okay. We're, Mm. we're getting ready for bed, brushing our teeth. Hey babe, I talked to you for a minute. Like I was so excited to come home and I I guess I kind of expected that the kitchen was going to be straightened up. I didn't want to have to do that. Do you think maybe next time I go out with the girls, like that's something you can do. It just really is important to me and it makes me feel super loved. So instead of addressing the actual issue, you are, you're attacking the person is criticism. So instead of addressing the issue, like you said, Hey, you know, come to them softly and saying, Hey, with a soft startup, Hey, I know you, you were playing, sorry, babe, you know, we were playing baseball outside and like, we got, you know, time got away from us. You know, that soft startup of saying, hey, I know you're doing this, but this would really mean a lot to me. That'd be the, the correct response. But criticism is just like, well, you never, you just don't care about me. Like, you're just horrible and lazy. Yeah. Criticism. Yeah, attacking their, their character. The third one is defense. I, this is my go-to, my go-to toxic weapon of defense. And it, it's true. It never works and it only hurts. Uh, but defense is exactly what it is. So when Rachel will, when I don't get the boys down in time and the kitchen's a mess, she comes home and she's like, babe, please, next time, can you get the kitchen clean and the, the kids in bed in time? I'm like, but babe. I I got you coffee this morning. Don't you remember? I got you coffee. And then uh, I, I helped cut the carrots at dinner. And babe, I, I, I got, don't you remember? I got the oil changed in your car, babe. I'm working so hard. And it's moving, it's distracting away from the actual issue at hand, the actual conflict at hand. And it's moving it to, well, don't you remember? I did all these other stuff. I did all these other things and I do it because I 
I'm feeling attacked. I'm feeling... It's usually a response to criticism. Yes, it's normally a response that I have to criticism. Or even a criticism. critique, if, even if the person... You know, it can happen sometimes, even if I am... Oh, yeah, all, all the time. ...coming, you know, hey, when this happened, like, could you do it differently? And then, you know, it's usually like a, a response to get the partner to back off. Yes. Like, back off. <laughs> it's, it's I did all these other things, woman. <laughs> yeah, like, can't, can't you just be happy? And they're like, I, I am... I am happy about all these other things. There's just this, there's just this thing. And so defense, if, if we are constantly going to defense, then it is going to ultimately destroy our marriage. It destroys the, the integrity of the relationship because then a person, the, the other party can never feel like they can bring, like you can never feel like you can bring something to me if I'm always being defensive. Mm-hmm. Because what I communicate back to you is, oh, well, you just don't appreciate me. Well, you just don't, you, you're just not grateful and thankful for what I do. Mm. And so then the person feels powerless. Oh, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, my goodness. That is awful that he feels that way. So I might better just not bring these things up. And it's, a for, it's really a form of manipulation. Mm. Because if I, if I start throwing out defense all over the place and then I mix in some criticism, like, I did this, 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 but you, you never do X, Y, and Z. Mm. You're now in, like, full-blown manipulation, and uh, that is going to probably sooner rather than later come out totally sideways because that person is going to feel completely plowed over. Number four, the fourth and deadly, deadly sin of marriage. Stonewalling. Nice. Mm. Sorry for that strong S, but it is pretty strong. Um, and usually it is a response to contempt mm. or like, you know, usually stonewalling occurs when the listener withdraws from the interaction, shuts down and simply stops responding to their partner rather than confronting the issues with their partner. People who stonewall can make evasive maneuvers such as turning out, turning away, tuning out, sorry, turning away acting busy or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was me. Stonewalling. That was me. I had no idea, you know, going back to first five, first four and a half years of marriage, I didn't know how to deal with conflict. And so whenever you would try to bring something to me or we would try to talk about something, you know, I would eventually pretty quickly shut down and just completely turn off. Mm and turn away from mm. as a way to one, I have no idea how to engage in this. And then also to punish you because I didn't, I didn't know how to engage in this conversation. I don't know how to go there. Um, <clears throat> it was like, I was feeling psychologically flooded. Mm. Usually that's a response. You feel flooded and you, and then I didn't know how to identify what emotions I was feeling and, or communicate them in a healthy way. Um, and, and nor at that time did I, realized that 20 minute breaks in the midst of heated conversations were incredibly healthy and actually yes. saves us and, and still does save us a ton of heartache. When we learned to just do that, that changed a lot as well. Um, so yeah, stonewalling. Yeah. So stonewalling, stone, stonewalling is a silent treatment. It's the silent treatment. I'm going to give you the silent treatment, whether that's, I'm going to withdraw and get busy in work, or I'm just literally not going to look at you, not going to speak to you, 
you're going to talk, 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 and I'm just going to be totally silent, completely shut down. Yeah, you become a stone wall. Yeah. And how is that effective? How is that helpful? I mean, it's where is helpful. that going to get you? Nowhere, you know, it's being able to be self-aware enough to say, look, I'm feeling flooded. I mm. need a break. Mm. And you're really good at this. Mm. Where, where, you know, we're trying to talk through something. You're like, I, I am not going to respond in the way that I want to right now. And so I need a break. I, and then letting your, your husband or wife know, I'll be back. I'll be back in 20 minutes. And we'll talk yes. about this. And it is always, we're, we've calmed down. And then obviously in those times we've been, we've trained ourselves to do the, you know, is there any truth in the way that I'm thinking right now? You do, you know, this, if you look at it as like a triangle, you have a thought that leads to a feeling that leads to an action and they happen so fast. They happen so fast. Thought, feeling, action, thought, feeling, action. And that could be my husband doesn't love me. Well then how does it make you feel? Makes you feel rejected. makes you feel super sad, which then, you know, what's your action? I mean, sometimes we often has an actual physical reaction, which is you could, you know, maybe cross your arms and kind of like turn your back mm -hmm. a little bit towards your husband, but those things are happening so fast. And so it's re it's deconstructing that and saying, okay, what's that thought? Okay. What is there? Is there any truth to that? And what is the truth in place of that? And then you can do it in the positive way. What's my thought that leads to the feeling that leads to the action. No, my husband does love me. He's committed to me. That makes me feel safe. That makes me feel secure. Yeah. Okay, that makes me feel a little less like, oh, my shoulders are dropping a little bit. I feel like I'm opening up a bit. And then that goes mm -hmm. in the cycle. And I had to do that, especially in the beginning as I was like, what am I feeling? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> and so, and then when you come back in the 20 minutes, it's, you're, you're way less defensive and big and. Yes. Yes. Man, that was hard work. Those 20 minute timeouts are, especially when you're getting in your cycle of your argument and your disagreement taking those 20 minutes away, putting some music on, taking deep breaths, thinking about something else. It's so helpful to then be able to come together and actually resolve the conflict without just further having your cycle get bigger and bigger and you're getting more upset and you just becoming more and more reactionary to one another. So let's hit some of these. We already, already kind of hit some of the antidotes, like what is the opposite of these spirits? of or these actions and we the first one we're going to go back to contempt the antidote to contempt is building a culture of appreciation and respect and gratitude and if you have an incredible amount of contempt in your relationship it's going to take some time to rebuild that and change that into gratitude one of the ways to do that when you're feeling those emotions of contempt and disgust, taking a, like actively saying, no, wait, okay, what am I thankful for? What am I thankful for in my spouse? And then relearning who your spouse is, learning who they are, understanding their world so that you're not filled with contempt about them. Well, but, and I would say that often is way easier to do in your mundane every day as opposed to when you're flooded yeah. yes of course that's it's good. like that's it's a lot easier said than done to in that moment think about the things that you really love about your spouse when you're kind of <laughs> mad at them but a lot of you know i think it's their motto 
It's like doing small things often Mm -hmm. and appreciating those small things because often we think it's like this big trip or this big gift or this big gesture that's going to fix things in our marriage or in this broken relationship. But it is appreciating the small things like, wow, thank you so much for cleaning up after dinner tonight. Not because it should quote unquote be his job, but it's, I'm so appreciative of that. That really helped me out. I'm so thankful for that. But doing those small things and, and actually vocalizing that appreciation and that gratitude to your husband, not just in your head. Yes. But to them. Yes. So that when you are in that that place where you're frustrated and you guys are missing each other and you're taking that break, it's easier to go there of like, wait, I love my husband. Mm. This is just like, ugh. this is like, we're both tired. This has just gotten a little bit, yeah, you know, blown out of proportion. It's easier to go to the things that you love about them because you've been practicing it during the week and you've been vocalizing to each other. We try to do this. I feel like we do it fairly well where we've learned and to, totally. to not just think, well, he is just his job. He should know to do that, but actually express gratitude in the mundane, everything. Thank you so much for picking up, you know, arrow from practice today. That really helped me out. Yeah. Thanks for making my side of the bed, babe. <laughs> well, it's, it's building up those, those thought patterns and, and those muscles. Cause if you're, if you're constantly in a thought pattern of, complaining and grumbling contempt against your partner well then of course when you're in an argument it's going to be that but if you if you are guarding your thoughts and making sure that you're not grumbling or complaining but you're using gratitude concerning your partner behind their backs when you're not around with them and and you're not letting those small things come out of your mouth when you're annoyed but they're not in front of you that will that will help building that muscle up so when you're in the moment you have your training to fall back on. It's like they, they say in, in moments of crisis, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your level of training. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, wow. whether it's in sports or the military or your family or marriage or you're training your kids, in the moment of crisis, none of us rise to the occasion and perform exceedingly well. We are all going to fall down to the base level of our habits and our training, which is why when the healthy times and the good times, it's so critical that we are using gratitude and thankfulness. Okay. Back to, to criticism. We already, you already hit this really well, babe. Um, the antidote to criticism is soft startups. And instead of saying you do this and you do that, say, I feel a certain way. Hey babe, when, the kitchen is a mess and the kids aren't in bed. I feel like you don't really appreciate me. And that sort of mm-hmm. putting it on yourself of like how I feel when something's not happening. Yeah. It's being intentional to use a lot of I statements, not you do this and you're this and you're always, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's I feel this way. It may not be based in truth, but it makes me feel as though you don't care about mm-hmm. me. You don't care about what matters to me when you, oh, there's a you statement. So, yep. like, so avoiding you as much as possible. When you did this, then I felt this way. And that's helpful for me. It's helpful for me because then I say, oh, that's how, that's how I made you feel. I didn't want to make you feel that way. I'm so sorry that I did make you feel that way. But that signals to me like, okay, this is not something I want to produce in my relationship. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't think about you that way, I'm going to be able to take ownership and alter and say, okay, I'm going to move in this other direction now because 
I can see how you feel. Uh, what is yeah. the antidote to defensiveness, babe? Yeah, so the antidote to defensiveness would just essentially be taking responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. So, you know, it's when there can be a truth to everything. So even if your partner, which it's, it's a lot harder, trust me, it's a lot harder to do this when you're in it. But when you come to me about something, instead of being defensive of, I always do this. And what about this time? And what about the things that I did for you this morning? And, uh, well, you do the same thing. Um, mm. I can actually take responsibility. Like, yeah, you're right. I, I don't like being late. I don't like when I, kind of get flustered and then I kind of talk to my, to the kids in a frustrated way. Mm. You're right. There was some truth that I can, I can do better next time. Thank you for pointing that out in me because, and again, that's why it's so important to have these moments of gratitude and thankfulness throughout the week and appreciation. And then I think it's important to highlight the, you know, we need five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. And so then we're filling each other's emotional bank account, so to speak, if you look at it in that sense, so that when these, this does come out, I'm not feeling like, wow, you're, you're just ripping me apart, but no, you, you are so good at telling me all the things that you love about me and the things that you appreciate about me. It's easier for my brain to go to, wow, you're right. You wouldn't have brought mm. this up if, mm. if you didn't love me and care about me, because I know you do. You, you voice that to me in all the small ways. And so just finding that, that truth to whatever the, the person is bringing to you um, and taking ownership. And seeing where can I do yeah. better in this? You're right. Okay. And being, and really being humble and, and shooting down pride and um, knowing like, it's okay. We can have blind spots and that's hard for me. It's hard. It can feel such, you know, it can feel so much like, I don't know why we can translate in our minds that it's a personal attack. Like you're telling me I am flawed as a person when really it's like that, that just disables you from ever just being able to see the truth in it because totally. you're so, oh, I'm, you know, I did all these things and I'm, you know, doing all this stuff for you and the family. And we are, we are all flawed as people. Yeah. We all, we are. Um, I, I love that you brought up the five to one, mm -hmm. uh, that for, in order to have a, a healthy emotional bank account with one another, you have to have five positive interactions to counteract every negative interaction. So that means you have a ne negative interaction and it takes five dollars out of that emotional bank account and you have to do five positive interactions to fill it up the the problem the problem however then becomes is that we can't control those negative interactions we're bound to have negative interactions we can we can work to build tools in our tool belt in the way that we engage with one another like uh, attacking these four 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 horsemen they're called these four things that destroy the relationship but if we just are con completely swallowing ourselves then we're just swallowing ourselves and it's just going to explode out later but what we can control is the positive interactions we can be intentional mm -hmm. to, throughout the day fill up our partner's bank account through saying thank you through touching them on their back and saying, I really appreciate when you do X, Y, and Z, you know, these positive interactions we can control. And if we work hard to increase our positive interactions, rather than just worrying about trying to minimize those negative interactions, we're going to do much better. 
the last the last one of the antidotes again you already touched on which is the antidote to stonewalling is self-soothing um and you already hit on it so great babe i don't think we even need to go over it again which is when you're in that place and you're totally shut down it's take that time out identify what you're feeling identify if there is truth to what you are feeling so that you can come back and engage. And some sometimes it was, I'm going on a quick run. I'm going to like go do something that's totally unrelated to this, you know, like not even think about what is going on. It's mm. like um, to actually just like, yeah, I guess I get, it goes back to self-soothing to just like get your brain back to a normal elevated, not elevated um, manner. Yeah. Or, place of homeostasis or well that run is you know doing a quick 20 minute exercise is great because it pumps all of a sudden your endorphins dopamine levels through your head Mm -hmm. and it just totally resets you and i think it's going away from no we have to solve this right now i cannot tell you how many i mean and this is a normal thought like if we are committed to each other we are in this until we are done i don't care if the sun rises and we didn't get any sleep we're talking about this because if we are in this marriage, then we, and, and we are committed, then we have to do it. But that is actually so destructive. It's actually more mature and more wholesome. If you guys can, and we've learned this, it's still hard sometimes. Cause when you're in it, you feel you have to fight off those. Like he's, he doesn't care. He's rejecting me right now. He's, you know, thinking about himself when really it's like the, a form of a huge form of sacrifice and love because you're like, I love you so much that I'm willing to walk away yeah, for a few minutes yeah. so that we can actually have a constructive and effective conflict and an effective communication um, with one another. And yeah. so um, if we can take those breaks, whatever that looks like, take a drive. I don't know. It, it will benefit. Well, it's, it, it comes from the, that verse that, which says, don't let the sun set on your anger. And then we translate that to, mm-hmm. well, we have to resolve every conflict before the sun rises. Even if it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., it doesn't matter. We need to resolve this conflict. But really what it, you know, what that passage is, you know, referring to is like, don't let it just go unresolved. If you, mm-hmm. if you avoid it and you're essentially then stonewalling that conflict and just remaining angry and you're waking up the next morning and you're still stonewalling the person well that's not taking a a 20 minute break so that you can come back and resolve it that's just Mm -hmm. exhibiting toxic behavior and that's not going to solve anything so bringing this all back yeah to where we started the show which was talking about uh, dovetailing from the previous episode of setting healthy expectations and boundaries for your kids, because that's really what is going to set them into freedom. Then the next thought that we were had is like, man, if if your house is divided, if you are divided in your marriage, well, forget about it. Like, <laughs> no matter what you do, you're going to then that toxic, that toxicity within your marriage from these healthy, unhealthy patterns that we have that is going to trickle down to our kids. And the culture that is created between husband and wife, that is going to be the culture that is created between siblings and the the culture that's created between parents and children. 
And so if we don't get our house right, if we don't get this relationship right, where we're on a team, it doesn't mean that we're always perfect and we never have conflicts because we're always going to have conflict. But if we're not able to deal with it in a healthy manner, then we're not going to have a family culture that we want. We're going to have a family culture. It's just not going to be a healthy one. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's not having a healthy marriage is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of having hard things. Mm. It is having those hard things come up and those conflicts ensue and actually walking through that with humility and love, which love is patient and kind. It's not self-seeking. It's not seeking its own way. It's not, it's not rude. Um, and so it's taking these tools and actually being intentional, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so that, you can have healthy conflict. It's not the absence of it. It's not, oh yeah, we don't fight. Well, that's a little bit more alarming than <laughs> yeah. at least I find. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it, it's exactly like you said, it is, it goes hand in hand. It's why we wanted to touch on it and we will continue to touch on it. It's all intertwined is the health. When you and I started to get healthy and again, just that visual of we're not up looking at each other with fists raised, like you did this, you did that, you know, like all those four things present with defensiveness and stonewalling and critique and disgust or contempt um, towards one another in the midst of conflict. It's okay. There's this issue and reminding each other we're on a team, like link. I just see it. Like we're linking arms facing that problem. Yes. Yeah. With in, in your, you know, whether it's in your marriage or financially or, you know, extended family or job, you're, and then of course your children and the way that you're raising your children, you're going to face that a lot differently. You're going to be able to walk through that a lot differently than if you're just, yeah, of course, divided between your husband and you're not on a team. And so it's so important. It's so important to go after it. And it's worth, like, if you really think of it, like you've committed to this person for the rest of your life. Why would you not give time to therapy and counseling like it doesn't come naturally there is nothing about this journey in marriage and in parenting that just happens like yes we were created with a desire to love and to grow and to be the best that we can be to the people around us but if we don't work for it and we don't intentionally pursue it and fight for it Mm. it won't happen and that will essentially create the culture of your life of your family in your marriage like Oh, life just happens to me. You yeah. have to go after it oh as though goodness. like, this is what, this is what we've got. This is it. Mm. And this family unit will change the world. My kids will change the world. And if I want them to, it requires a heck of a lot of intentionality and you can only be present in it and aware and intentional if you're your most healthy self. And that often is being willing to do the hard therapy sessions and counseling because it's not a shameful thing. We need help in our lives. We need that counsel and wisdom. And um, I'm so thankful we did that. And that's our biggest thing is I'll say, I have many moms come to me and we talk and chat. And I I feel like that's one of the biggest things I highlight is like before anything, you have to know like you and your husband have to be in unity over this. Yeah. You guys have to decide no, at all costs, we're fighting for this and we're going after it even in even in hard seasons, even when, you know, often Lucas and I will say if something is happening in the household that isn't normal, we'll often say, oh, where were we lazy? 
Oh, so lazy. <laughs> and my parents get so lazy. We were lazy and we were busy doing something else. So we didn't feel like stopping and addressing that. And it's just like going back to taking responsibility as individuals and saying, okay, where did we, you know, where do we need to repent to our kids, to each other? And then just like have redo. His, his mercies are new every morning. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's going after it and fighting for that. But if we're not healthy, then we can't expect it to go smoothly. Mm. Um, and so it's worth, it's every, worth it. It's worth everything. It's worth it. You'd yeah. always, you'd always, uh, use the phrase unnatural hard work and it really is unnatural hard work but what how can people naturally find you and find us on the the interwebs of the world well for now find us for now you can find us on instagram i'm at rachel scrobot and my husband at lucas scrobot oh yes we hope to do we will do a social media page we're doing something website social something somewhere but right now if you have any questions you can find us on instagram also if you want to get more out of the show and this i I truly believe this if you want to get more out of the show share this with your friends don't share this with people who you think are having a hard time but they don't see eye to eye with you and so you're being passive aggressive of hey you should listen to this If you have a person like that in your life, just sit down with them and talk to them face to face. That's going to improve your relationship. But share this with people who think like you, who you're already on the same page with and begin to build a, a language within your community, a shared meaning within your community so that you guys can build a strong and healthy culture together. That's all for today's episode. I'm Lucas. And I'm Rachel. We'll see you next time.